if you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 5. So Matthew 5, 5. While you're turning there, I just want to thank our choir and our music team for um, some really, some great choir pieces over the past uh, just few weeks. And if if you're not part of the choir yet, and you maybe could do that, you're a singer, Um, even if you don't think you're much of a singer, we'd love to have you, because I bet you're better than you think you are, okay? So we'd love to have you consider maybe joining the choir. Let Emily know if you'd like to come, or they can just show up, right, Emily? At 5.30 on Wednesdays is practice. And then a a quick run-through before the service on Sunday morning. So if you've never considered it, I just want to ask you to maybe consider that. And I'm grateful to, even on songs that are newer, as as these last two were, and these are songs that would technically fall in the category of a modern modern hymn um, and, and how they are structured, that even these songs that maybe we've not heard a lot of, that I listen around and hear some great singing. That's the thing about congregational singing, uh, which is a church we aim to be congregational in how we sing, is it doesn't work if the congregation doesn't sing. And it's really exciting and encouraging to hear, even on songs that are kind of newer to you, singing out. And it, it makes the worship here great, so thank you for that. Today as we're going to consider an idea of blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And we're going to read that here in just a moment. Um, In a lot of ways today, there's a pride that says that there is a way that I want something to be done and I intend to get things done my way in my time. I want things done right now on my timeline. There's a pride that says that if I don't go out there and get that position, if I don't go out there and get whatever it is that I want, then someone else is going to get it and everything will be lost. For me, actually, as I thought about how to open this sermon and just try to think of examples of this pride that says I need things my way and my time, I need to get mine or somebody else will, there were so numerous for me, that I had to just end up settling on just generally talking about the fact that there is a pride that says, if I don't get mine, if I don't get my way, someone else will get their way, and I can't stand the thought of that. If things don't happen in my timing, then things will just fall apart. And it is absolutely everywhere in our culture, because we're humans. And unfortunately, it is even in the church But things really and truly shouldn't be this way because we know as we've gone through these Beatitudes that these are descriptors of the Christian. These are descriptions of those who are true disciples of Jesus. And if we are true disciples, then these things should be true of us. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 says this, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. This is God's inerrant infallible, all-sufficient word. Let's pray. Father, as we consider just these few, or this one short verse today, we ask for your blessing. Help us understand what it means to be humble, to be meek. Help us understand the hope that comes from inheriting the earth, and help us to grasp it, even though from a human perspective, from a worldly perspective, it doesn't make sense. Lord, would you bless me to be able to speak your word rightly, to these people this morning, to this church, that they may be rightly encouraged and challenged by it as your spirit intends. Lord, would you give them ears to hear? And even for myself, would you give me ears to hear? 
what's being proclaimed today. Help us to live differently in light of this text, in light of your truth found here. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this, that true disciples humbly submit to God's ways and God's time. Or we might say God's timing. Now, that word that we, I've used here is the word humbly. That's what the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, chooses to use to represent that. A lot of you are probably used to, and I'm used to, the word meek. So I want to go ahead and tell you on the front end of this that you're going to hear me say both today, okay? And there's part of me that wants to be consistent and pick one from the text I'm reading. There's another part of me that says, well, meek is the one I'm used to. Um, you're just going to hear them interchangeably. When you hear humble or you hear meek, just know they are working interchangeably this morning. So, true disciples humbly submit to God, God's ways and God's time. Now, we start off seeing this just in the Beatitude, blessed are the humble. Now, when we talk about humble, we're talking about someone being humble or meek. We're going to give a, a quick definition and some examples of what it is and what it is not. And actually, we should switch those. We're going to talk first about what it is not. And then we're going to talk about what actual humility, what actual meekness from a biblical perspective is. A, a dictionary definition of humility or meekness is this, that it's gentle or mild. It's not haughty, forward, arrogant, or aggressive. Now there's some great examples too that I've heard a lot of, and Shannon brought it up, and it's one that I've heard used so much, and it's a great descriptor because it talks about an animal that's been domesticated. And a perfect picture of that is what she used, a horse that has been broken. It has been taught and trained to do exactly what it needs to do to get a job done. So many of those horses are capable of doing so much more than they actually do. They have wild power that could knock a person out if they kicked them. They could buck them off if they needed to. But time has been put into it to break them, to train them. And they've learned to submit to their owner. Another way to talk about this is just this, a subservient and trusting attitude toward God. That's going to help us kind of zero in a little bit more on what we're talking about today. Because just as the animal, as it's broken, has to learn to trust its owner, to say, you know what, maybe I don't need to uh, kick and, and, and lash around wildly. Maybe I don't need to try to buck you off whenever you get on to me. The animal learns to trust. It learns to serve. And its attitude towards its owner changes. And for us, over time, our attitude towards God should change. Now let's talk about what meekness isn't then. Meekness, first of all, and as Shannon talks about, it's not weakness. We hear about Jesus who is meek and mild, and unfortunately, we, the way we've described him as that, which are not bad terms, those are biblical terms to describe him, but unfortunately, sometimes with that, we get the idea of a Jesus who is always cool, calm, collected, and doesn't want to ruffle any feathers, right? Every hair is in place in the picture of him, right? I mean, he's just, he, he's a real chill guy. That's not what it is. It's not lacking backbone. It's not being passive all the time. It's not shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, yeah, man, whatever happens, happens. It's not just going along to get along. 
Unfortunately, within Christianity, there's two extremes. One extreme says we are constantly at war with the world, and every single person who is not on the inside of our church is the enemy. Some people, it's anybody who's not a Christian is our enemy. Some people say anybody who's not in our denomination is our enemy. And some people would even say whoever's not in my church body is my enemy. And unfortunately, some people would even say even those folks who are in my church but are not within my little circle are my enemy. On the other side of things are Christians that want to be just all things are good all the time. We are completely passive there's nothing, we never want to rub up against one another in any way that would make us uncomfortable. Don't stir up trouble and don't make waves. But that's not what the idea of meekness was that Jesus had in mind. Aristotle, who died maybe 350 years before Jesus showed up, but still, in using the language, he had a word, he, he, they were using meekness, that Greek word uh, that we use now for meekness or humility, in a very similar way, and here's what he said. One who is meek is someone who's angry on the right occasion, with the right people, at the right moment, for the right length of time. So we know that meekness isn't about being passive. And we actually know this because we see Jesus, who is described as meek and mild, having moments and times when he is not passive, where he is confronting the world, where he is confronting false religious thinking, where he is confronting sin, and where he's confronting Satan. And he is anything but passive. He is anything but shrinking back. When he is confronted with Satan out in the wilderness, he lets Satan talk for a minute as he's being tempted, and finally he tells him after he says time and time again, and it is written, it is written, it is written, he stands up to Satan. He doesn't just say, well, please don't bother me. You know, I'd really rather you not. He stands up to Satan. When he is put, when the religious leaders put themselves before Jesus to ask him questions, to try to catch him in uh, just getting mixed up, he doesn't just go, well, guys, listen, we're all just going to get along and everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, sorry that I've troubled you on this. No, he confronts them. He catches them in their own sinful thinking. When he goes into the temple, he's turning over tables. But he's not doing it for himself. He's not. He says, my father's house, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. He was concerned for the Father's glory, and he was also concerned for the Gentiles who were not get, being given the right access, who not have the right attitude. The, uh, the Jews were not having the right attitude towards the Gentiles when it came to those who were God-fearers wanting to come and worship at the temple. He's turning it over, over tables, for God's glory, for the Father's glory. And he even tells us in Matthew, I want to say chapter 10, maybe 11, he says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, one day he's going to establish peace. Amen? He's going to set things right. And he's going to be the king overall, the uncontested king, and he will establish peace. But in the meantime, he brings a sword that divides. That divides truth from falsehood. That divides religiosity from true conversion that divides even those folks whom you love from one another. Child from parent, whenever one trusts in Christ and the other refuses to. 
the New Testament, we see a number of times where apostles preached and were willing to be thrown in jail, not for their name, but for God's glory. So we see all throughout the New Testament, and we can have examples in the Old Testament, and we'll actually we'll see some that are going to show us what meekness is. They show that meekness is not just being passive. It's not just being agreeable all the time. It's choosing, and you know, I wish, I wish that it was from someone who's a Christian, but I think Aristotle had a great definition, and I don't have it on the slides, but I'll read it one more time. It's being angry at the right occasion with the right people at the right moment for the right length of time. And maybe we won't even say angry, but it's being willing to do what we need to do. It's being willing to be about someone else's glory. So that's the thing, too, is meekness is not about ourselves. But let's talk about what it is, and we'll, that'll help us a little bit. John MacArthur says this, that meekness is not weakness. We've seen that already. But meekness does not use its power, does not use the action that it takes for its own defense or selfish purposes. Its power completely surrendered to God's control. And we see that once again in Jesus' life. Jesus shows up and he's not about himself. He says, I came to do my Father's work. I'm here to glorify the Father. The thing about the person who is meek is that they're not afraid that they aren't going to get theirs. And unfortunately, that's where so many of us are today. We're afraid that I'm not going to get my way. I'm not going to get what I want. And so because of that, we want to take it by force. This is actually one of the greatest, the greatest acts of foolishness that we could commit. Let's look at James 4. If you turn to James 4 with me, we're going to go a number of places. I really wanted to make them line up from like the beginning of the Bible to the end, but it just seemed better to start with James 4. And we're going to go back and move forward. You'll see what I mean here in just a moment. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think that it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Meekness is asking, knowing that God is good to answer. Asking, knowing that God is faithful to answer. See, for so many of us, and if you look around and you hear stories of churches and Christians in conflict, so often we want things a certain way. And he says, what's the source of these wars and fights that are among you that are happening don't they come from your passions that wage war? We want to take things by force. 
That's what causes these fights and wars among God's people. We want what we want. We're afraid we're not going to get ours. We're afraid we're not going to get our way. We're afraid it's not going to happen in our time, in our timetable. He says, but you don't have, not because you've not gone out and taken it. He says, you don't have because you never asked me to do it. When we ask, we know that God is faithful to answer us, that he is going to do. So meekness is asking God and knowing and trusting that he is good to answer it. Weakness is saying, well, I don't want to ask. I don't want to put God out. I don't want to make waves. I don't want really anything to change. But meekness is saying, God, things maybe should be different in this situation or that situation, and I need you to work in it. But I'm not going to take it on myself to go and just make everything happen, to strong-arm things into being my way. Instead, I'm going to ask you. That is the humble, the meek route. And look at what verse 6 says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we aim to do things in a way that's prideful and says, I want to get mine now, he resists those people. So maybe you've wanted things to change in your life, in your job, in your marriage, in your child rearing, in your church. And for you, you've tried to strong arm this situation. God says, I resist you whenever you go and do it pridefully. But I give grace to the humble one who will seek and ask and knock. Let's look at another thing that, uh, another attribute of what meekness is in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible, in case you've not been there in a while. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 12. It says this, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses. Now this was his brother and sister. They criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married. The best we can tell from this is that his wife died while they're out there in the wilderness, and he married another woman, a Cushite. She's one who is from what we would now call Ethiopia. Now, they had some issue with him because he married this woman. As far as we know, we talked about this in the youth Sunday school class today, that God, whenever he says not to marry people from other places, from other cultures, um, other races, his concern is simply because those people at that time and the surrounding nations surrounding Israel were worshiping other gods. He even says, don't marry them because, and he spells it out in his law, because they're going to draw your heart away after other gods. Now, they would probably tell us if this Cushite woman was drawing Moses' heart away after another god. But it doesn't seem to be the case. They're just concerned. They're criticizing him because they don't like the woman that he chose. And they said, does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. They started they start going after Moses, after his authority, after his leadership, and God hears it. Because guess what? You know this, but God hears everything. <laughs> and Moses, though, was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. He was a very humble man, a very meek man. See, for Moses, at this moment, he had all kinds of clout with the Israelites. 
He could have done all kinds of things to get his way in this situation. He could have called out Aaron. He could have called out Miriam. Because for them, they were being, um, they were being mean and hateful and hostile and discriminatory towards the wife that he had chosen. But look what God does. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. The Lord descended like a, in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent, and he summoned them. He summoned Aaron, Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, Listen to what I say. If there's a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. God's saying, Moses is my guy to lead Israel now. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. When Aaron turned toward her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold against us the sin that we have so foolishly committed. Please don't let her be like a dead baby whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. Because she discriminated against this woman who was of a different race, a different ethnicity than her. God puts this disease of the skin on her. The most important thing is this. It's Moses' response. See, if he wasn't, as verse 3 says, this man who is humble, meek, he could have just gleefully kind of rubbed his hands together and say, Miriam finally got it. After all these years, she finally got hers. But he doesn't. No. He chooses to not take offense to being sinned against. But he knows that God is just. See, he could have taken so much offense. He could have just said, have at her, God. Let her die with us. But he doesn't. So he asked God to heal her. He knows that God is just. And he actually even asked God to show mercy. Meekness doesn't say, yes, good, they got theirs. Meekness says, God, would you heal them? Because in their sin, they're hurting themselves. Psalm 37 is our next stop. We only have one more after this one. And Psalm 37 is actually the place. Jesus, as he, as he is giving this list of Beatitudes, he is actually quoting Psalm 37. And actually, we're going to do 1 through 7, not 1 through 3, and that's my fault there. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Don't envy those who do wrong, for they will wither quickly like grass and will wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn. Your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in His way, by the person who carries out 
evil plans. For so many of us, we, whenever we see folks who are evil, prospering, when we see folks who curse God, who curse us, who are against all that is good, and they prosper, for so many of us, it can be really discouraging, really disheartening. It's actually easy to start envying those people and saying, look how good they have it. Maybe I should do what they do. He says this, Trust in God and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He's going to act. You don't have to act. You don't have to take this into your own hands. He will act. Be silent and wait expectantly for Him. Meekness, thirdly, is delighting in God and in Him giving you the desires of your heart. It's finding delight not in the things that you could get out in this world, but the things that He gives you. And it's trusting that He's going to give you the desires of your heart. Not sinful desires, but the desires that He gives you. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Finally, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 21 through 24. We'll see the last thing that I'm going to talk about. We could go through all kinds of verses to say, what is meekness? We see finally the ultimate, the perfect picture of what it is. And it is Christ. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body, in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live. For righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Meekness is entrusting yourself to the one who judges justly. It's being like Christ in this way, to entrust yourself in the one who judges justly. I want you to understand what was happening here. As Jesus is on the cross, as he is enduring the brutal torture. It was being nailed through his hands to a piece of wood, to suffocating under his own weight because he could not push himself up because there was a nail through his feet. As he endured beatings and beatings and a back whose flesh was bare of skin, as he endured all of these things, he could have in a moment put it at an end there's an old song that we sang, I guess it was a southern gospel song in the church I grew up in. It said, 10,000 angels um, all circling around, they could have come and taken him down. He could have called an army of angels to come and remove him from that cross. He could have done it himself. He could have spoke a word and those people beating him and nailing him to a cross could have never existed. He could have turned them into dust. He could have sent them straight to hell. 
at that moment. He could have done so many things, but he didn't. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And if there's ever a picture of power completely surrendered to God's control, as John MacArthur says, it is Christ. He could have done so many things to remove himself from that situation and to put it to an end. But this is the plan that he and the Father and the Spirit had come together before the foundation of the world, before time began, and covenanted together to say, this is the way that we intend to glorify ourselves." This is how, God said, this is how I intend to glorify myself, by the Father sending the Son to die, to create salvation that the Spirit would create in us by regenerating us. This is God's plan, what He intended And Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, going through this, could have said, I don't want any more. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he put that power to change the situation under control. Under the will of the Father. This is what meekness is. And here's the thing about meekness. After all of that, Why can you do this? We've given all kinds of reasons for what it is. And I hope that for you, as you look at these things, you're encouraged and say, I want to be like that. If for no other reason, because Christ did it and we should aim to be like him. But there's something even better than just the fact that Christ did it. It's the promise in the second half. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. For so many of us, we go after what we want. We'll do whatever we can. Step on whoever we need to, unfortunately, to get our way. And for us, we want just this little bitty bit of our corner of the world. But Jesus says, Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. This isn't having just everything physically. This is even better than that. This is having eternal life. And it's not just eternal life where you're floating around in heaven as a spirit. But it actually exists physically. See, one day we are going to be ruling and reigning on this earth. So many times we talk about the life that is to come and make it all about this ethereal spiritual heaven And we don't really understand that one day, God doesn't say you're going to heaven. He doesn't say I'm just creating a new heaven. He says I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. He is setting this earth back to the way that it was supposed to be. And on that new earth, we are not just passive observers. But we are those who, because we've been adopted into God's family, we become sons and daughters of God, along with Christ. We have an inheritance that is greater than any inheritance that anybody could ever leave you on this earth. Because we will rule and reign with Christ over the new earth that is to come that will be perfect. And there, God will change the desires of your heart, as Psalm 37 says. He will give you new desires, right desires, and no longer will the desires of your heart be out of whack like they so often are today. He will give you new desires, and those those new desires that He gives you, He will fulfill. And all things will be made new. 
for us, we so often want to do everything we can, like James says. We wage war, we fight, and we quarrel so that we can get what we want for this moment. But please, hear me. Don't just get what you can for this moment and miss out on getting everything that you've ever wanted in the life to come. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not yet a believer, and I hope that you will be, even after hearing God's word this morning, you've been aiming to to obtain the entire world. Whatever that is for you, in your mind, this thing makes up the whole world, whether it's a job, whether it's a family and you've wanted one for so long, whether it's a name for yourself, whether whatever it is, fill in the blank, that is your world, you want to obtain it. You want to use your own power to, to get what you want. And you might just get it. But the question is, is what you really want what you want for eternity? And the second question is, at what cost will it take? To do it for yourself and your own glory means that it's not for God's glory. And it means that it's not being done in, in His way, as our main idea this morning says. You've been aiming to get this world, here and now, this present world, But understand, this present world, you can get it, but one day it's going to burn up. Jesus talks about that person who aims to gain the whole world but lose their soul. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that is you. But understand this. If you actually just aim for God and aim for His ways, then what you're going to get is Him and then the world thrown in. Not this world, though, but the world to come. You get Him and how great He is, and you get the world to come thrown in. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll change those desires. But you have to ask something. I have to ask you something this morning. That's this. Will you submit to God's ways and to God's time? God's way is only one way, and it's Jesus. That is God's one plan and only plan, that you would trust in Christ. That's it. His way for you to be made right with Him is for your sin to be wiped away, gotten rid of, gone. But you can't do it. Only Jesus can. Because only through death can it happen. And if you die for your own sins, well then, you've died and your destiny is hell. But when Christ, who has no sin, dies for your sins, then all of a sudden your sins are gone. They've been paid for, but not by you. So will you submit to God's way? And secondly, will you submit to God's time? And God's time is now. If you hear God's word this morning, answer it. Answer that call to trust in Him today. To put your hope in Him right now. And I hope that you will. And we'll have some time during our, during our, our song of response to come and talk to me. Or afterwards, I'd love to talk to you and take as much time as we need. And if you're a believer this morning, which I believe is a lot of us here, I want you to understand something. What is probably the most, the thing that turns the world off the most unjustly, understand our gospel is going to turn off the world, right? It just will. The world doesn't want what Christ is offering. But for us, so often we put other things in the way than a gospel that is hard for some folks to swallow. And one of the greatest things that we do to put something in the way of the gospel are Christians who aren't meek. Who become angry and defensive about their own way, about their own glory. 
So often the ways of God are being thrown down and others are dying and going to hell. And our response is, well, you know, I'm worried about this over here. So often Christians vacillate between cowardice and foolishly being offended for our own glory. It's either we're cowardly and not defending God's own glory, or we go over here to this side and we say, I am zealous for my own glory. And I'll take offense whenever my own glory is being challenged. But Christian, for you, will you quit putting this in the way of your relationship with God? Will you quit putting it in the way of the gospel? Will you hand your, the reins of your life over to God? And will, instead of using your power and time and influence to push your kingdom forward, to push your way forward, would you use your power and time and influence to put his kingdom forward? To do what he's called you to do, which is to make disciples. The question, the big question for you is this. How do you need to submit to God's way and God's time? So for the unbeliever, it's will you submit to God's way and God's time? For the believer, it's you know that you need to, but how are you going to? How have you thus far not been submitting to God's way? How have you wanted your own way? And how have you been trying to make even good things work in your time and not God's time? Where have you really, at the end of the day, the question is this, where have you not handed over the reins to Christ? Hand over the reins to God and say, you do it in your way and your time. Christian, this is what it means to live the Christian life. That it's not for you, but it's for Him. It's not in your way, but it's in His way. And it's not on your timetable, but it's on His timetable. Let's pray. Lord, may it be true of every person here who is a follower of Jesus, of every saint at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church, that we would be humble, that we would be meek, that our hope would not be in building our kingdom here, but instead our hope would be in the kingdom that is to come and the inheritance of the entire world that is to come one day as we rule and reign with you. Lord, would you help us to be humble, to be meek, to desire you and your own glory. And would you help us to understand that one of the greatest ways to glorify you is to love one another as Christians and to love the world, those people who make up the world, by taking the gospel to them by making disciples. And Lord, for the person here who has not submitted to you at all, ever, in any way, would you today, by your Holy Spirit, create them a new heart and a new spirit, one that is submitted to you in your ways. Would you give them new life? Would you make them humble? Would you make them meek? Would you make them one of your own? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.